Today, we have a very uh, special event, and Melissa will give us, for the first time in our church history, we don't have a long history, so it sort of sounds good. Yes. First time in our five years, uh, we did a, a, a forest annual spiritual inventory. And you are about to find out. Also, I'm about to find out. Yes. Fassy, I think that's. <laughs> um, so I sent this out probably beginning of the year, just kind of giving us a quick question, um, allowing us to reflect on our good, good responses. giving us an opportunity to kind of reflect back and um, our time, our spiritual time with God. Um, and so it was just some, some, some simple questions. Um, you can just scroll down. So out of the number, I don't know how many people were on the list, I think 41 people responded. Um, mainly, so, and so it kind of captures a little bit of what our church body looks like. Um, and Tali, but so out of the 41 responses, you know, it's almost half-half, so more of the females answered <laughs> the survey, okay, come down. And surprisingly, so, so how long have you been attending Forest? So a lot of us, I mean, almost half of us um, have only been coming less than a year. Whoa. So. Um, so, uh, so, and then 30%, you know, obviously, let's say five years, those are the original people here, and then it kind of goes down from there. Okay. And then what is the age group? So, half, a lot of 30s and 40s. Um, <laughs> the 50s, we all know who they are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, okay. And then, so this is really interesting. So how much, so we're being really honest. Obviously these are all, you know, um, I, mean, well, I don't know what, who responded to these questions. So how much do you read the Bible the past year? So 73% of us have less than 25%, right? And the next chunk is, you know, 50 to 70%. Okay, let me come down. How often do you read the Bible in a week? So uh, more than half of us admits to only reading it one or less, one time or less. Um, okay, come down. And then how much do you pray a day? So half of us, about five to 15 minutes. Um, a quarter of us, so five minutes or less. Um, okay, keep on going. So these are some of the classes that people have taken. Obviously, a huge majority, 90%, have taken the Cornerstone Bible Study, um, which is an amazing Bible study if you guys haven't, um, haven't done it yet. So, um, okay, and then we come on, scroll down. How often do you attend house church? So, a majority, a big majority of us do attend house church. Um, and there's nobody has, everybody has gone, it seems like, have attended house church. So. Okay. And then that's also encouraging. How many, do you have VIPs to pray for? Okay, so that's very encouraging. And then VIP. What does that stand for? What does that VIP. <laughs> well, those are people. Oh, you can answer, Marcus. <laughs> there's people that we are trying to guide them to to Christ, really. Ones who do not know God. Um, those who we feel like um, they need to, you know, start have their relationship with God. Um, those are the ones that we really encourage to develop our relationship with, um, and usually we try to get them to our house church and make the church too. Um, and then some of the responses of what is your most grateful for us experience, and um, a lot of them has to do with house church. Um, a lot of the house house church and just. You know, some of <laughs> but uh, just a lot of them has to do with uh, you know our relationship that's being developed here, and so 
it's encouraging to see that um, this new relationships um, and relationships are getting deeper between uh, members. Okay, so and that's kind of our one of our goals um, in developing house, these, this house church um, I guess setup. Okay, and so so that's so we can okay. Let me come on down. Uh, scroll down more, and then so this is also really um, you know good to know that actually a lot of people want to participate in church activities and so for those who have you know clicked on um, what are, you know the ministries that you guys click on you know feel free to contact these people you know the ones who for uh, children's Sunday school you know please contact Rita okay and then um, for youth ministry Han and Vivian um, I know that for praising especially they they always need help <laughs> and so Mo um, you know for praising is down on screen and then um, for website managing you guys can talk to Alex Parker back there and then short-term mission oh thank Pastor Paul and then for the retreat I'm sure Hannah really appreciate that there's actually a good amount of people that wants to help out with the retreat so when we get time to do the retreat planning, which is probably coming up soon. Um, contact Hannah Parker. <laughs> but, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And uh, we want to do this every year, end of the year, and I hope that 2020 we can, we can improve than 2019. And the children, uh, before I dismiss you, I want to remind you that I ask your parents every day, have you read the Bible? <laughs> you know, please ask your parents, have you read the Bible? And uh, that will help your parents be a, become a better parents. Now, as I'm going to dismiss children, we're going to go by the class. So stand where you are. Now, fourth to sixth graders class, we're going to go orally. We're going to go in that order. And then first to third grade, all in the first and third grade. And the kindergartner, preschoolers. And the little ones. Yes, have a great time. For the last time, I'll say Happy New Year. And uh, how are you doing in Happy New Year? How is your New Year 2020 going so far? JP Morgan once said, the first step toward getting somewhere is to decide that you are not going to stay where you are. And I pray that we don't just go where time dictates us, but we command time. We dictate time to go in direction of God. Last Sunday, I preached a uh, New Year's Day sermon, a New Year first sermon on the uncommon faithfulness, which is none other than serving God in small things, through the example of Tychicus. So, at least one habit I think every Christian should, you know, cultivate, attempt to cultivate every every year, every time, whenever you can, is to a daily Bible reading. And uh, these days, we don't have an excuse because we have a smartphone. In smartphone, there's an app called uh, Bible Gateway, and then there is a Bible reading plan. You know, I ambitiously clicked uh, 90 days to read the entire Bible in 90 days. I'm already behind. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it sent me uh, a time, the daily time, and, and I just read like an email. So let's use a, a smartphone to be a spiritual phone, and let's really be smart about our spiritual habit. Amen? Today, I want to talk about journeying with God in 2020. And when you journey with God, you will have a more than adventure. The author of uh, Lord of the Ring, 
J.R. Tolkien said there are two kinds of journeys, adventure and quest. What's the difference? Adventure is a trip without destination, not necessarily destination. Adventure is a very experience-oriented. Advance is a very uh, about the pleasure. You don't go adventure to suffer. You go adventure for pleasure. Because there are some people go vacation without much plan. You know, whatever happened, that's a vacation and that's fun. That's the adventure. Quest is a different. Quest is a trip, a trip with task. And the quest has actually destination. Just like a novel, Lord of the Ring, Sam and Frodo, their task was, their quest was to destroy the Ring of Sauron, and their destination was an old mountain borough. So I pray that we all go into the quest of God 2020. And Forest is a church that is serious about the quest of God. What is a God's quest for us? We want to be a biblically functioning community of God where discipleship and fellowship are more than Christian cliché. Where discipleship and fellowship are lived out concretely through Good Shepherd College and house church ministry. We don't want to be another American church succumb to the cultural Christianity where individualism and consumerism reign with a convenience and religious performance. We want to lock our hearts in truth and love together, just like a redwood forest lock its, the roots of its trees together and we stand storms and provide a nourishing environment for many living creatures. As a Christ came to seek the sinners, and to find the lost and gave himself our life, we want to pray for so-called very important people, VIP. We call our non-believing friends and colleagues and classmates VIP because they are the one that Christ came for this world. And the ones you and I were VIP. That's what our church is about. And today is our annual strategic talk. And before we share details with Philip and I at the end of, uh, after the sermon, I want to share a passage, a God's message based on passage in Matthew 20 as a God-given encouragement and exhortation for our journey 2020. So if you turn to Matthew 20, verse 1 to 16, this is a parable of a vineyard owner and workers and we're going to read responsibly, just as our habit. So this time we're going to read our brothers, uh, uh, number first, and then sisters follow. So brothers will go first. For the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Let's go one, two, three. One, two, three. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for a vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Then he said to them, 
But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Then I have a right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I'm generous? Let's read together. So the last will be the first, and the first shall be the last. A renowned New Testament scholar and seminar figure in the study of the parables of Jesus, Klein Snowgrass, who wrote a great book, The Stories with Intent, confessed that this parable is one of the three most difficult parables of Jesus to interpret. The other two are the parable of an unjust steward in Luke chapter 16 and the parable of a banquet in Matthew 22. And Thomas Long made a comment that I really agree. He said, this parable is not a blueprint for labor practices or economic systems any more than parable of a prodigal son is a lesson on parenting or great banquet a parable of great banquet is a manual for table etiquette. Any company that paid the people who work one hour a day, same as it paid full-time workers, will soon have a hard time finding employees willing to show up at nine in the morning. This is seemingly strange and the anti-capitalistic parable gives us actually special revelation into God's heart and really confirms and challenges our journey or quest with God. Another uh, great Christian named Clarence Jordan, founder of Koinonia Farms, and one day I want to talk more about Clarence Jordan, because Koinonia Farm became an inspiration to build a Habitat for Humanity. I know some high schoolers are into a Habitat for Humanity. So. And he was an incredible Christian. Uh, in the 1930s and 40s, deep in South, near Atlanta, Georgia, he built this uh, Christian community with the blacks and white and helping each other and working together. He's a New Testament PhD from Southern Baptist, Universe, uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, and once he said this, whenever Jesus told a parable, he lit stick of a dynamite and covered it with a story. I really, really like this statement. Whenever Jesus tells story, Jesus is a great storyteller. He, inside the story, there's an exploding, thundering truth waiting for us. And today, in this parable, I want to share with you that three explosions I hope that that destroys our misconception about God and it deconstructs our mindset for the kingdom of God. So three things we're going to talk about is one, different owner. Number two, desperate worker. Number three, deliberation. We need to reflect about the whole thing. So first, thing that we need to really detonate. It's about the motive of the owner. This owner of the vineyard is different from all other landlords or landowners and business employees. The one word repeated most in today's story is he went out. He went out again. He went out. He went out five times. Five different times into the marketplace hire the workers or day laborers. Whenever he found the people, he hired them. Whoever he found them, he hired them. Sometimes, you know, preachers, they try to fill the gap that, oh, this landowner needs more labor to work at his vineyard. That's why he went to the marketplace. You know what? That's not really the text is about. Nothing at all this text says about the need of a landowner. In fact, the story that Jesus gave highlights the need of workers. Landowner sees them standing idle, and then that sight prompts him to hire them. In real world, 
economic revolves around the need of bosses or owners or employees. But this story is pulled along by the need of workers. He is different owner. I might say is a rare owner. What he cares about is not his own profit, but providing need of those people looking for daily job to survive. Amen? Uh, this landowner represents our God. And I want to tell you, there is a no one like the God of Jesus Christ. There is a no one like our God. You read any religious, in, religious literature, philosophy book, and show me a God who loves sinners so much that he gave his only begotten son. All religions say sinners repent and then you know, be a righteous or better or shape up or something. Otherwise, all religions save the good and righteous. Christianity, God seeks the sinners. God seeks the sinners. And sacrifice himself to save them. There is no God like our God. Our God is to our God is not only reverent, he revered, to be revered. He is aware. That's what the psalmist repeatedly say. Our God is a gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That's our God. First thing we know about God is a grace, graciousness. His graciousness. His goals above beyond our expectation of a one who has a power. He extends his kindness beyond in a power to help us, not to judge us and condemn us. Do you know any uh, holy rich man? I mean, do you know any owner like this? Uh, once, today I have a lot. Well, let me just, I just share some stories. When I was doing my PhD in Waco at Baylor University, uh, I was serving a small college town church. And uh, we, uh, uh, one day, uh, a Korean businessman from Temple opened a Japanese hibachi restaurant in Waco. And it's a big restaurant, actually partnered with a Chinese-American businessman and then he came to our church and asked you know asked me to all the part-time workers so a lot of our students went and worked there and our our students they work really hard one of them uh, mr. Park uh, Deacon Park later you know he was in charge of uh, uh, washing the hibachi grill one weekend he, he washed he worked so hard later his wife told me when he came back home and then took shower and the sleeping, he was so tired, he actually peed on bed. Have you, do you know anybody who worked for minimum wage, worked that hard? That's our students. So Chinese partner loved our students and gave uh, you know, tips and so forth. But this is Korean owner, he really, really mistreated our students, and somehow he saw his power struggle and so forth. So one day he fired them all. But the way he fired them was so hurt, so despicable, because one of the students, he was a nominal Roman Catholic, uh, Catholic, and we tried to share the gospel with him. And then right after he was fired, he drove to my house, and then. Tears in his eye, he said, Pastor Paul, that Korean owner who, who is a deacon from whatever church in, in temple, he said, he, if we don't leave quickly, he will call police and then he will report on us, INS, that we are illegally working. He's the one who hired us. Can this person, can, can, it, can this be right? You know, as a pastor, Protestant pastor, I was so ashamed. 
This is when I thought, oh, this is why Wake Forest University, they named their mascot Demon Deacons. There's a divine deacon and there's a demon deacon, and we got one. And not only that, I was so mad and I began to, so I began to pray, actually, that God grant our church holy businessmen. Not just a huge business, rich businessmen, but holy businessmen who can hire many students. And then, you know, a month later, I received a $9,000 check for the translation work that I didn't expect to get paid, but check came. I thought, okay, we're going to Hawaii. <laughs> and then a few days later, that Mr. Park, Brother Park came to my house, and he said, Pastor Paul, I decided to take your uh, advice and open a, a very inexpensive Japanese restaurant in Waco. And can you help me? If you have whatever money you have, can you help me? And that brother Park is a very interesting guy because he's a, uh, we had a cornerstone Bible study there too, and uh, everybody hosted, and their house, he's a, one of the poorest in our church, but we ate best at his house. Taste was really good. He knows how to cook. And so every time I enjoyed, you know, my big mouth, not big mouth, but my, my mouth open, and uh, you know, back in, uh, Prest, uh, uh, what is that? The Princeton. We used to go nearby shopping mall. They had uh, this uh, very inexpensive Japanese. What is that? What is that? Teriyaki chicken place where you buy five dollars. You so twenty dollars. We ate so well. Bay. I mean, Waco is a college town. You don't sell expensive Chinese, Japanese food. Cheap Japanese food. You have a market for. So he got that idea. The pastor Paul, we want to open. Would you help us? I know why $9,000 came. <laughs> and then our, he, you know, and then he, our, he asked for our church people. And then I told our church deaconesses, we don't have rich people in our church at that time. So I said, don't lend the money to them. Give to them. Because a small restaurant, two out of three, they don't survive. So if you lend, you will be disappointed. But if you give, then it will be okay. And, they, and then so many people help them out, small amount. As a pastor of a small church, you know what? I pray hard for their restaurant. My prayer, Lord, daily revenue, $500. Then we, everyone can be happy. Three months later, they made $3,000 a day. Praise the Lord. And then they hire everybody. <laughs> and they open second business. That's a teriyaki park in Waco, still there. They sold it recently, but they now have a Waco roll. <laughs> Korean, uh, anyway. Now, coming back to our story. This landlord, he hired these people not because he need them, more than they need to work. That also, I think, is telling us that God calls us to ministry, not because we, God needs us, but we need a ministry. Do you know that? God calls us because we need a, God knows we need a ministry. Why we need a ministry? If you really want to grow, you need a ministry. You can grow spiritually or Christ-likeness without serving others sacrificially. You know, serving is overused. Everybody uses serving. Even politicians use serving. You know, really Christian biblical serving means it'll cost you, it'll cost you a convenience and then cost you money and time and resources. God calls us not because God actually needs our help, but because we need God's help to grow. Unless you are in a ministry, you don't know how much you need God. Unless you are in the pastoral ministry, you know, your prayer life will not grow. Your spiritual muscle will not grow. This is my 12th year in Dallas and 18th year in Texas. I'm becoming Texan. I used to be Californian, but in you know, two more years, I'm being a Texan. 
And uh, one thing that I regret about my, uh, uh, my years in Dallas is the first three years I came to Dallas to teach at uh, Dallas Baptist University. And I took that as my vocation. So that first three years, I didn't serve the church. I was a church attendee just like you. I regret that. I should have a pastored a church part-time in the weekend. You know why? My spiritual life was not strong. You know, I pray for my students, but you know what? You don't have to pray to teach well. <laughs> Seriously. Because teaching is just, just you know, exchanging information, I mean, you know, sharing information. So I already have my you know, stops ready. I have a great teaching evaluation. I'm bragging here. And, but, uh, you know, if, you know, olden days, they said, ratemyprofessor.com. I was, uh, I received the highest, you know, evaluation in our school. You know. So, but, I just uh, attended the church, and occasionally when my friend, pastor, went, you know, in trip, then I did uh, just uh, preach once in a while, and, uh, you know, and then so forth. I didn't serve. I just attended the church. I thought, my vocation is now Christian higher education. And my spiritual life didn't grow because my prayer life was not challenged. And you know, interesting thing, my marriage toward the end was making noises. And I could see if I don't return in a pastoral ministry, Jamie going to either kill me or leave me, whatever. <laughs> so I'm doing this for myself. Yeah, seriously. God called us to ministry, not because we are qualified, but because we need a ministry to go. We need a work. If you just be fat and don't exercise, guess what? You have all kinds of uh, physical problems. We have uh, doctors here, so they can tell you about. We need to exercise. And so exercise those of you who you know, don't like exercise, yeah, I, you know, it's a painful. But you need to exercise. Ministry is a spiritual exercise. Let me go quickly to the second point. The focus is about this uh, desperate last, the 11th hour worker or uh, 5 p.m. worker. In this story, the landowner said, how come you're not uh, working until this time? And the verse 7, they said, because no one has hired us. No one has hired us. How come no one hired them? Most likely, they are physically inferior. They are not strong, maybe short, puny, problematic, and less qualified at the time. So other you know, potential own, you know, business owners found them I'm not going to pay you for the same amount that you know, other guys can produce higher productivity. So they are available, but they are not able. And here's the good news. Only thing that God requires is availability. I said again, God uses, God values our availability more than our ability. You know, there is a saying that God doesn't call the equipped, but God equips the cold ones. So true. You know, whoever responds to God, God is going to use you. God going to mature you. Now, have you been waiting all day long desperately? Have you been unemployed? You know, loss of job is not just a financial you know, struggle. Depression comes. Self-esteem goes out. It's really struggle. Now the question is, how come they didn't go home? It's already 5 o'clock. I mean, possibility of somebody hiring them is, uh, why, did they, why didn't they go home and they say, honey, I might do best. I'll go back tomorrow early and I'll work. How come they didn't go? You know why they didn't go home? If you're a parent, you understand. You cannot go home until you try 110% for your children. You know, being a, pastor, uh, being a pastor, my pastor, Don Kim once told me, being a pastor is like a, being a poor parent with many children. 
you feel inadequate because of a lack of resources. And cry of a needy, hungry children torments you. Nothing stretches you out like a ministry, especially pastoral ministry. Well, I'm not talking about professional. I'm talking about any time you serve people and their spiritual care in this either house church or small group, or it is really not easy. It's not easy. You know, loving your own family, that's not easy, right? We know that, right? We have some family members here. But, but loving strangers, that's a hard or impossible. Even strong or stronger ones, they say loving other people, strangers, don't appreciate your weekly service. It's really hard. And John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Chapel, I don't agree with his theology, but once he said this, excellent ministers cannot be those who yearn for earthly flows. Neither can they be lovers of earthly comfort. Life of a ministry is not a life of a leisure. Notion that ministry can be both effective and painless is a lie. Let me repeat that. Notion that ministry can be effective and painless is a lie. Ministry can be either effective and painful or ineffective and painful. <laughs> That's a ministry. Being in care of other people's spiritual life with the prayers and the servanthood. That is painful, hard. But good news is this. When you feel so thin and stretched out and you're about to give up, but you say, oh God, you know what? That's when God comes and rescues us. The second point is this. God rescued those who really, really, really trying best, like a 5 p.m. workers who couldn't go home because he, came, he wants to bring little bit, whatever little bit of a food for their children and family. By this time, he probably given up the hope that he will win, you know, he will bring a full dinner. He probably said, oh, just a little loaf of bread if I could take it home. And now God is a merciful God, faithful God that helps us when we are at the bottom, when we, when we extend it. Oswald Chambers, in his book, The My Unmerciful is the Highest, he said this, Patience is more than endurance. A saint's life in the hand of God is like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. He stretches and strains. And every now and again, the saint says, I cannot stand anymore. God does not hit. He goes on stretching till his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. Trust yourself in God's hands. And then let me tell you in my, from my own life experience, when I felt like uh, I'm I cannot do anymore, and then wonderful rescue comes up. I want to sh share a testimony. Those of you who are new in our church, we'll, we'll get a you know, summary of our church. So I'm going to give a pastor's you know, a state of union for our church. So, you know, so we began 2015, and then first two years, later you will see it in the Phillips report, we actually grew substantially right away. We survived. And then, you know, we start with a Bible study and small group called Cell Ministry. 2016 went, slowly plateau is going. 2017, plateau is getting plateau. And I began to lose patience. Toward the middle of uh, two and a half years, I said, by this time, we should have blossomed, but uh, this tree is, uh, I felt like we are not, we are almost sick and about to die. I become a desperate. And then Laurel, my middle daughter, who went to Rice University, she said, the best thing about the university is the house church ministry. She doesn't like the church that she goes to. But she loves house church. 
I said, there must be something. That's a small group. So I went to a, a pastor's retreat where her pastor will be there. For three days, I quizzed him. And then he said, just come to the uh, conference and then you will learn. He will not give me any, any secret, any, any, any information. So 2018, I went to their pastor's conference for house church ministry in February. And some of you remember that I said I found the, the two missing 2%. The missing 2% means, you know, the difference between monkey and human is the DNA-wise is a 2%. So reason their church, they're doing exemplary house church ministry. They've been doing that over 20 years. More than half of their members, this is a fairly large church, over 600 and close to 600 people. Half, more than half of them receive Christ through their church, I mean house church, and baptize. Do you know any church, 50% of our members are brand new Christians? That's the church. We don't have, not many churches has a record like that. So when I heard that, it's a, I got it. And then I saw, I, I was excited. I came home, I came back. I restreamed, I replanned all the training. I trained our, all the house church shepherds next to one month. You know, two, you know, two hours every week, and then drill them, and then we reorganize, and we lunch it again, and nothing is happening again. <laughs> 2018 summer, most house churches didn't meet because we are busy with the summer vacation schedule, and so few met. So by end of 2018, I began to worry. I did my best, and I thought I'm rich. My pastoral leadership is limited. This is how far I can help a forest. Forest is not a job for me. I don't do this for money. I do. This is a my small love to Christ's love for me. Yeah, my mom said, you should, you know, a lot of my relatives said, I shouldn't be a pastor. I should be a businessman. I agree. But uh, <laughs> somehow I, I'm in, in this. And then, so 2019, January, for the first time in our church, in my, you know, I, I began to think of a resigning. Not because I don't like church. Not because you don't love me. I receive a lot of love and you know, respect. I know, I, you know. I, but I feel like I, I cannot lead you to the next step. So for the better mean better life of a forest, I thought maybe I'm maxed out and this is my limit and I need to vacate my post so somebody else can come and take you. And of course, I'm going to stay until somebody comes. So I began to pray to God, God, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm not a feeding, then take me out. And then all of a sudden in 2019, there was, you know, they usually have a, a house church seminar for lay leaders in October. Somehow there in January. And then five of us decided to go down there. I took them very skeptically because I thought my seminar is better than their seminar. <laughs> Depth-wise, much, much better. I said, and then you know what they said? Oh, Pastor Paul, now we see what you meant. <laughs> oh, before it was all theory. Now we, we get to be... They cut the vision. They came back and they really you know, pumped up and they want to do it. And I want to say, I want to share this. Their dedication saved me. God rescued me through the dedication of our house church shepherds. And then 2019 in summer, for instance, most house churches met. Some of them has the same regular you know, house church, like, uh, you know, we didn't become a uh, Another summer vacation in a typical American church that everybody, you know, just out. This is God's grace. You know, when you stretch out, God comes out. God rescues the resilient, resilient servant. Let me go quickly to the last point. The last and most interesting point of this story, the workers who came early in the morning felt they deserved more. Initially, they, you know, he was, well, they were grateful when they were hired, and they all agreed for their wages to be a denarii, a living wage of the day, a fair price. 
But now after the 5 p.m. workers got the same living wage, they somehow felt unfair and injustice was done to them. What happened here? Their sense of justice and fairness was switched from their earlier relationship with the landowner to their relationship with the other workers. Theologically speaking, their perspective changed from vertical to horizontal. Vertical to horizontal. When we begin to see our calling from horizontal perspective instead of a vertical perspective, you know what happened? We conflate significance of God's glorious calling and we are confused about God's justice and mercy because others seem to have more. When you compare yourself to others, you became like a Peter in John chapter 21. Do you remember John chapter last episode of John chapter 21? Once Jesus restored Peter and feed my sheep, after he said, do you love me as I love And then what did Peter say? Soon as Jesus said, follow me, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following, following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What's the problem with Peter? All of a sudden, Peter saw his calling, not from Jesus, but in comparison to John. You know, that's when the Satan is the most alive. Because every pastor seems like, oh, you know, other church seems greener than here. House church, you know, shepherds probably say, how come my house church members don't step up? Other house churches have a co-shepherd. How come I don't have any co-shepherd? You know, how come? Yeah. You, you hear from them. Once you kind of start comparing, it's become a very, very difficult and dark. Now, today's message, Jesus concluded, verse 16, last shall be the first and the first shall be the last. Actually, this one was repeated earlier, chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said the same thing. Because, do you know, a preceding uh, story, here is that the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and they want to follow Jesus. And then, you know, Jesus said, okay, if you, you know, if you want to have eternal life, give all your possessions to the poor and you follow me. And he couldn't do it and left. And when he left, Jesus said, oh, it's so hard for rich men to be saved or enter into the kingdom of God. And upon that, Peter jumped in and said, we left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? This is a question of a reward. The third point, deliberation, we need to know. We need to really discern clearly what kind of reward is God is giving to us. The reward of discipleship, let me say very clearly, is not, I have a better recognition, more accolade than other disciples. You know what the reward of discipleship of Jesus Christ? You fall in love with Jesus, and you want to be like Jesus more than anything else. That is a reward of a true discipleship. Discipleship, being a, being a faithful follower of Christ, is not outpacing others, outdoing others. No, you really, really understand his heart and don't want to be like him. What is the reward of a friendship? Is your reward of friendship is that your friends buying you free stuff? Taking you to boba tea and then buying you boba every Sunday afternoon? You know, and, um, some of our churches, you know, people are very great, very gracious. Sarah bought me a lot of boba tea free and I'm really grateful for our friendship. And, um, so I'm speaking to myself. Now, is that the reward of friendship? Reward of friendship is you have a friend. What is the reward of a marriage? Your spouse will provide a better service as time goes by. Is that the reward of a marriage? No. You really begin to love one another more. And you really want to serve that person more. What is the reward that Tom Brady is looking for right now? You know, Tom Brady, he lost at a game last week, right? Out. 
You know what is he looking for? The next season? He wants to play one more season. He's not looking for a higher salary. Did he want enough Super Bowls? I want him to retire, but he wants to play. You know, that's what he wants to do. You know what the true reward that a true disciples of Christ to look for? We want to serve God more and longer. You know, my reward for my marriage, I want Jamie to be healthy and exercise more so we can live longer and serve together more because when I serve with her, I know I, I, I'm, I'm much better than I do myself. And I want to be parent longer. You need to exercise more. It's all set, almost close to the abuse of, uh, you know, pulpit. But anyway. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, if these early comers, they really find out what a rare, different, incredible, gracious landlord they have, if I were them, if I'm a born-again Christian in them, I said, Master, I want to come back here tomorrow. Would you hire me again? Actually, can you give me a long-term contract? That I want to really build up your vineyard that can hire so many more people to serve many, many poor families. That's what I want to do. Instead of comparing and counting, oh, how come I get little more? That's not reward. The reward that God wants to have is to understand his heart. And when you know his heart, you will be energized to love others and serve others more than ever. Let's pray.